the Council of Trent. Yes, so the Council of Trent, uh, a little background, uh, met uh, between uh, 1545 to 1563. It met in three parts. Uh, the first part was 1545 to 1547. Some historians say 1545 to 1549. And the second one met 1551 to 1552. And the third one met uh, between 1562 to 1563. The Council of Trent. What was this council about? Who called for it? What? What's the purpose behind it? Welcome to today's episode of All Things Reformed Podcast. This is episode number 11. My name is Z Chunga. I'm joined by Pastor Confex Makalera. And we take a journey from the Council of Trent to the foothills of the doctrines of grace. Pastor Confex, the church has had a number of council meetings. Yes. <laughs> and, and I mean, like, you cannot run away, especially during the Reformation time. Mm. There are councils, there are meetings, there are synods uh, taking place. Because now, as the Reformation is, is going on, both the Roman Catholic Church and, of course, the Reformers realize that there is a need to clarify doctrine. A uh, thing that we're taking for granted. But also, the Roman Catholic Church realize, okay, yes, there is no uh, smoke without fire. Uh, maybe we can listen to what uh, these reformers are saying. So, so it's like uh, putting their own house in order as well. They look at some of the things that uh, the reformers have raised and they discuss whether they should change them or whether they should maintain them, and we're going to see that happening through the councils. One of the outstanding uh, council meetings is what is termed the Council of Trent, and uh, this is an attempt to, uh, like you're saying, to listen and to um, make a response to the Protestant reformers. They come up with a response on both doctrine and on practice. What does the Roman Catholic Church say at the Council of Trent? The first one, uh, the one between 1545 to 1547 or 1549, uh, depending on the sources that you're using for your history, was a, a major one in that it was re responding to the Protestant Reformation. Mm. And it was responding both on doctrine, but also on practice, as you have uh, rightly said. The cast of trend is going to make a resolution that no more selling of indulgences, which Ruth opposed. No more selling. People can donate and get the indulgences willfully. They can do that if they want, donations, but no more selling. Of course, they change that. We, we praise the Lord for that. But the other thing that they adamant, say, we can't. Uh, so uh, the first part of this meeting, 1545 to 1547 or 1549, comes so strongly on two key doctrines of the Reformed faith, which we have just been looking at. 
And the Roman Catholic Church says, well, you heard the, the reformers. They are saying that there are only two sacraments, the Lost Supper and baptism. What does the Roman Catholic Church say? So they say, no, we have seven sacraments. So they make it clear that the Roman Catholic Church has seven sacraments. Of course, the Lost Supper is in there, and the, um, uh, the Lost Supper, which is the Eucharist for them, and of course, baptism there, and they're going to add others, including marriage as a sacrament. So they will come to a total of seven. So the Council of Trent, the one that made in beginning from 1545, fixed this and said we have seven sacraments. But also, they go straight uh, to the doctrine that is uh, said, uh, some have said that Ruth has said this is a doctrine which the church stands or falls, justification by faith. Mm. And they come straight to that and they say, no, 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 no. Justification cannot be by faith alone. So they deny that and actually they say if anyone teaches that let him be a curse anathema and actually i would like to quote that right uh canon number 14 of the council of Trent. if anyone says that a man is absolved forgiven from his sins and justified because he firmly believes that he is absolved and justified or that no one is truly justified except him who believes himself to be justified and that by this faith alone absolution and justification are effected let him be an anathema let him be cursed so the castle is very clear here you hmm. cannot teach that justification salvation is by faith alone if you teach that be cursed I, I don't want to really to talk about Roman Catholic Church. It's, right. it's like we are here just to yeah. pass Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. Mm. But I challenge our friends in the Roman Catholic Church. If you visit your documents, it's right in there. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that salvation is not by faith alone. But so they come to Scripture alone. And they say, no, 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 no. Uh, the Reformers are wrong to teach that script, uh, uh, Scripture alone is the fine authority in the church and in, in the life of the believer. And they say, no, scripture and tradition. So by tradition, they're referring to the teaching of the fathers, church fathers, the popes, and what the church has believed over the years. That is also a fine authority. So you can look at scripture and the church tradition as final authority, not scripture alone. So they, they make that very, very clear. But also they are going to have other reforms uh, they realize that uh, some of their priests are less educated, so they are going to, um, uh, to take initiatives to have priests get better education. They should be more educated. And uh, one of the key leaders, Roman Catholic leaders, is Ignatius of Loyola. He's going mm. to really lead a work of uh, strengthening education. Now, how does this become a foundation to uh, what we're going now to dive into, which we're calling the doctrines of grace. Yes. So now uh, the reformed faith has gained ground. Everyone now knows that there are Protestant churches and there are Roman Catholic churches. So things now, people have come to accept it. There will always be Protestants. There will always be Roman Catholic church members. And as things are progressing, 
each <coughs> side, I would say, I'll use that word, each side is putting things in order. And there is uh, training of ministers, training of pastors and priests. And then within the Protestant Reformed faith, there will be an issue there. There's going to be a discussion to say, well, these things that we are teaching in the Reformed faith, are they biblical? And that will eventually lead to uh, what we are now calling the doctrines of Christ. So would you like us to go there? Sure. <laughs> We are coming from a history where uh, the followers of Luther, Martin Luther, and we're looking at their teaching as Lutheranism. Now we're beginning to focus on John Calvin. What is the word we're dealing with here? Yes, so uh, there's this word that they use, Calvinism. Right. Uh, personally, I'm hesitant to use it uh, because I believe, first and foremost, that John Calvin would not have loved uh, the Reformed faith to be associated with his name. Right. Uh, I'm very sure about that because he is a person who ordered that he should be buried in an marked grave because he knew that if they marked that grave to say John Calvin was buried here, some people would be tempted to go there and worship John Calvin. And he said, I don't want that to happen. So nobody knows where John Calvin was buried. So that gives me confidence to say, I don't think... John Calvin would have loved the Reformed faith to have another name as Calvinism. But this is the name that is out there. It's historical, so sometimes I use it, but I prefer the Reformed faith rather than Calvinism. A little bit of a dig into John Calvin. Yes. You, uh, we, in, the, in the previous um, episode, you began to give a history, and uh, you say that he was uh, the younger of the perhaps the youngest of the, of the reformers. Yes. And um, he was highly influenced by Butzer. Yes. So, yeah. And really, Calvin wanted to spend the rest of his life with Butzer. Wow. It's an interesting story. Uh, so, John Calvin, he's a reformer. We looked a couple of episodes ago. He begins to speak the language of the reformers in France, in Paris. He's trying to push for reformation there. Then he sees how the Roman Catholic Church is responding to the reformation and realizes my life is at risk here. So he decides to leave uh, France to go to Switzerland. And really where he wants to go is to Butzer, be mentored by him. And really what he wanted was just to live a normal life, writing books, not to be a pastor, not to be a professor, of pastors, but just writing. That's really what he wanted. And uh, he's forced because of these wars that are going on between Protestants and the Roman Catholic. And he's, John Calvin decides to change routes, goes to Geneva. And there he meets his friend Pharrell. And Pharrell is excited. He knows John Calvin. He says, ah, this is a young man. The Lord is using him, is, is, is very brilliant, gifted uh, theologian. And says, well, please, there is work here. I need help. Stay with me. Let's work together here. And John Calvin says, no, 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 that's not what I want. I just want to live 
low-profile life. I'm going to go to where Buddha is and write and just be mentored by him. And Pharrell will not take that. Actually, it is said that he cursed, said, may the Lord curse your studies if you proceed to where you're going. And mm. uh, John Calvin is, is shaken by this, mm. and uh, he decides... By this anathema. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And he decides to, uh, to stay uh, in, uh, in Geneva, and he begins to labor there. And, um, yeah, in God's providence, the Lord indeed uses him in a mighty way in Geneva. So he begins the work of reformation in there. He reforms the church because the church was originally Roman Catholic. Now uh, the church needs to become reformed. So he begins to do that. That will involve even changing the, the leadership of the church. It's no longer Roman Catholic, which is hierarchical. It's Presbyterian. It's reformed. So elders pastors and all that is going to do that and he realizes the need to train pastors so he's going to have uh, an institution there to train pastors a college a seminary to train pastors where john knox will go or so and be and be trained um, and, and, and john knox makes a, an, an, an interesting remark about the church in geneva yeah you remember that he, he calls it uh, says uh, yeah the church where he really learned what the church is, but also the school. Mm. Uh, he calls it the best school of Christ since the apostles. Yeah. So he benefits a lot from there. And of course, there are others also coming there. And John Calvin is also a preacher. He's preaching. Actually, uh, he's not preaching on Sundays. He's preaching on Wednesdays, uh, an average of six to ten sermons in a week. Wow. Uh, and the Lord is using mightily there. Of course, at some point, uh, people will not like uh, his reforms, yeah. and they'll push him, he will go out, and then later they'll call him again to say, no, we need you, John Calvin, please come. So he's going to, to come and serve the Lord there until he dies. So the work that he begins there is growing and growing. And when John Calvin dies, his friend, Theodore Beza, uh, becomes his successor in Geneva. So he's the one leading the work. And as he's training pastors there, he receives another person from Netherlands, Jacobus Arminius, who comes to be trained in Geneva. So he's trained there, he graduates, and he receives a call back home in Amsterdam to say, uh, Jacobus Arminius, would you please come and be our pastor? And uh, so, so Jacobus Arminius is trained at Geneva after uh, Calvin has died. Yeah, after okay. Calvin has died. He All was right. really mentored by Theodore Beza, okay. uh, who was the successor of John Calvin. Why do you bring in uh, Jacobus Arminius? Because we are heading now to the doctrines of grace. This also is where we leave it for today. Please email us your thoughts about the program and any questions you may have. You can email us on atreformed at gmail.com atreformed, one word, at gmail.com. You can also inbox us on all things Reformed Podcast page on Facebook.